If you don't have the nutrition on board to upregulate those pathways, because there's a lot of toxins in the environment, then what happens is when the virus comes and stimulates the upregulation of that pathway, you don't have any resources to do it. So naturally, now you're going to get sick because you cannot. It would be like if you put software into your computer that was so advanced, the computer did not have a system for it. It would crash your computer. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. Well, that is the story of human progress. One inch at a time. I'm your host, Joe DiStefano, and you're listening to Stack. In today's episode, I sit once again with Paul Check. Paul is the original holistic nutrition and lifestyle guru. If you listened to episode one of this show just last week, you heard Paul share just a small fraction of his wisdom. And on today's show, we dive a lot deeper. Now, I'll warn you, a lot of people will not be ready to hear some or all of what Paul has to share on today's show. Whether it's finding offense in the idea that maybe bacon might not be all that good for us, all the way up to inner conflicts, either with the way that Paul exposes some of the interests and history of government agencies that are supposed to have our best interests in mind, or when we finally land on some of the spiritual beliefs that Paul holds in explanation of the world that we are all currently witnessing and living in. Now, Paul has practiced in the realms of deep spirituality since he was a young child. He has studied spirituality, religions, and philosophy more deeply than anybody I've ever met, but anybody that I know of that is currently alive on the planet. In fact, when I visited Paul at his home, which is called the Heaven House, uh, which is not a very small home, about 50%, I would say, of the total square footage of this home was dedicated to books, many of which were extremely old and or extremely rare. What's more is that when I would pull a book, when I would pull a book off the shelf to look at it, any one of the books of the many thousands that are contained in Paul's library, there was often a small notebook, elastic banded to the book, completely full of Paul's notes and reflections on the teachings contained within that book. I was absolutely blown away when I saw this again and again and again. And on today's show and on last week's show, you'll hear Paul reference Rumi and some of these spiritual teachers of of our history and of our past as if he was just speaking to them last week. He has just such clairvoyance and such recall and just such deep connection with his work that as you pay attention and realize that I didn't tell Paul what we were going to talk about on today's show, yet he was able to access just so many of these teachings. It's, it's a testament to the work and the investment he has made in his own wisdom and his own knowledge. And personally, I do choose to trust Paul's word more than any other person that I've ever 
been in contact with, with the, with the health decisions that I make for myself and for my son. And this is rooted in the fact that I was a student of Paul's back in 2007, and it completely changed the trajectory of my life and had incredible influence on the work I do today and over the last 15 or so years with thousands of people. However, that is a decision like every other decision that could ever be made that you will need to make for yourself. In fact, this is one of the first lessons that Paul shares with his students that it's not that you should simply believe in what he's saying just because he's saying it. As adults, we owe it not only to ourselves, but to others, to our families, to do our own research, our own investigation, to invest in ourselves with a spiritual practice to help us discover the truth that you believe. And it is in that vein that I share today's show with you, not because I'm trying to convert you or offend you, but because you won't hear much of this anywhere else. And it is only when we are exposed, just like a garden or nature, it is only when we are exposed to a diverse field of information and opinions that we're able to become educated, discerning, and even evolved. Sadly, much of the information around not only what Paul's going to chat about in this show, but holistic health and nutrition in general, uh, as well as environmental consciousness that uh, Paul stands for, is being undercut and censored and suppressed in today's, call it politicized health environment. And I believe that to be at the great detriment of the human race, both because of the environment, the environment, the information that's being suppressed, and also the fact that we're not getting that diverse, diverse field of opinions that would actually enable us to make an independent decision. Now, we do kick off today's episode with the final four or five minutes of last week's show, part one with Paul, where we wrap up our conversation around Paul's four-day rotation diet, which is a diet that I've found personally to be extremely useful in myself and with clients who are looking to either eliminate certain foods or discover food intolerances without being completely restricted to, uh, you know, cutting out a massive number of foods or eating the same foods over and over again, because they're the only ones that don't drive us crazy. If you would like to find out more about this four day rotation diet that I first used back in 2007, uh, and many, many other valuable lessons, they are all contained in Paul's book, how to eat move and be healthy, which is an easy find on Amazon. Uh, I would urge you to buy the second edition. This book was originally published, I believe in 2003. Uh, but Paul just a year or so ago updated it and released a second edition. So be sure to check that out and make sure you're getting the right one when you do buy it. He elaborates in the second edition a little bit more on exactly what we're talking about right now. And last but not least, a special shout out to today's podcast partner, Vivo Barefoot. Vivo Barefoot are the footwear equivalent to much of the health and nutrition information that I share on this podcast. Why do I tell you not to eat bread? Because it's not very good for your gut. In fact, it's very inflammatory and creates an immune response that creates a cascade of negativity in our bodies and makes it very hard to discover 
what the actual pathology or underlying symptom is because the pathology can be so diverse. If you've got uh, an inflammatory diet, all of a sudden you've got elbow pain or, you know, whatever it might be, well, all of that inflammation must happen somewhere. So it's created in the gut and the issues that become the ones that we feel or experience can be so far downstream that we don't realize that it's the gluten. Well, it is actually no different structurally and anatomically as the effects of wearing a shoe that is either too narrow, too stiff, too limiting, too cushioned, too high heeled, or too heavy. And Vivo Barefoot, which was created by a former podcast guest, Galahad Clark, who is the seventh generation shoemaker at Clark's Shoes, is bringing us back to nature and creating a flexible, a light weight, a wide toe boxed, a unhealed, a flat shoe that gives you everything you need from a shoe and none of what's going to kind of unravel and unwild your nature and your connection with the ground. I fully stand behind Vivo Barefoot. In fact, over the last decade, I've watched these shoes go from something I wouldn't want to wear to something that I exclusively wear. They've gone through an amazing evolution, which I do talk about with Galahad on that podcast just a few weeks ago. Um, so Vivo Barefoot, if you need to connect with the ground, you have back pain, you have neck pain, you have tightness in your body. I believe that when we wear too much shoe tech, as I like to call it, our body actually gets the impression that we're kind of walking on ice or that we're walking downhill. We create so much tension up the chain because of the response and the reactivity we are forced to make from the ill connection to the ground, the heel, the fact that our toes can't splay. And it is that negative cascade that we're constantly battling against in the gym with mobility tools and, and, uh, you know, car buffers and, and beating ourselves, trying to get flexible, trying to tie ourselves and not to relieve some of this discomfort when almost all of it, I believe is rooted in the footwear that we have on our feet and the number of steps we take in each and every day. So if you're ready to make a change, you're ready to rewild yourself, head on over to vivobarefoot.com. Check out the wide array of shoes for men, women, and kids that they have on that website and use code STACKED at checkout to save 15% on your new footwear. Now, without further ado, I give you my two plus hour continuation of last week's show with my good friend and spiritual teacher, Mr. Paul Check. But basically what I found is that the concept of the rotation diet is directly linked to the concept of the exclusion diet, which to this very day is the gold standard for determining what someone has for food allergies and food intolerances. But the physiological basis of a rotation diet is that any food molecule you eat takes about 72, roughly 72 to 76 hours to leave the body. And it's affecting the immune system and the physiology of the body until it leaves your rectum. So from mouth to anus, there is some potential effect of any food molecule. So the concept of the rotation diet says we have to rotate our foods on at least a four day cycle because that gives the immune system 
and the body a rest from any potentially offensive molecule for 24 hours, during which time the immune system calms and the, and the body's healing mechanism can clean up all the inflammation that was created by whatever was inflaming the body. Then the next concept is you, in order to keep the body from being re-exposed to antigens that have the same genes in them, you have to rotate foods based on taxonomic groups that do not share genetics. So, for example, if you're eating chicken today and duck tomorrow and ostrich the next day and quail the next day, as far as your immune system's concerned, you've eaten the same thing every day. So what happens is if you keep eating foods, whether you realize it or not, that are from the same gene line, then your immune system progressively gets overstimulated. In my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, I show a little cowboys and Indians scenario. And the cowboys represent the immune antibodies. And a cowboy is sitting out on the porch of his uh, cabin at night. And all of a sudden, an arrow shoots right past his head and sticks in the wall. So he grabs his shotgun. So that would be like your first offender. Uh, your gut's leaking. You know, and, 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 you know, to, to make an important point, uh, I don't know what the exact percentage is, but I would venture to say it's at least 90% of the population has leaky gut syndrome, which means the microvilli are not able to selectively filter what enters the uh, portal vein to get to the liver. So if anything gets through the gut wall, the small intestine particularly, and up to the liver that is not broken down into a molecule that cannot be identified as chicken, turkey, corn, rice, anything. You can't have any other living organism in your body or your body has to kill it. And this is, for example, you know, why if you ate lamb chops every day for a year, you don't turn into a lamb. You're turning over every single cell in your body on a yearly basis. So if you didn't have an immune system as a metaphor, you could turn into the lamb because you'd be rebuilding yourself out of lamb genes and lamb tissue. So if anything makes it through the gut wall that is not broken down into a molecule of carbohydrate, a fat molecule, or an amino acid, then it's a piece of bird or a piece of pig or a piece of whatever it is. And so the body has to get rid of that to basically maintain its own identity of self. So the one of the key things here is that I may have mentioned this before, but I'll repeat it because it's congruent with what I'm trying to share here. And that is that research shows that on average, it takes about 72 hours for a food molecule to make it from mouth to anus. And in that journey, it's affecting the physiology of the body until it leaves the rectum. So um, the key point is, is that in a four-day rotation cycle, which is 72 hours plus 24 hours, if you're eating in rotation, it means that you're not eating genetic species more than once every four days that come from the same genus. So if you're on a four-day rotation diet, you get 24 hours of complete rest from the bird family, 
by only eating it every four days from the fish family, from the pork family and from the bovine family, which is in, in summary, hooved animals. The pork or swine is, is in a class all by itself. And then there are some fish that are not um, close enough in genetics to other fish to be different. For example, tuna has genes that are different than most fish. So it actually stands alone, almost like another animal species altogether. And there's a few fish like that. So for example, if you look at my four day rotation diet, you'll see on pork day, I've put a couple of other fish options because pork is the most common food people have to get rid of first in their diet. I find very, very consistently. One of the reasons is pork, the flesh of a pig is the closest uh, there is to human flesh. So that means that the immune system is even more <laughs> curious because uh, you're kind of approaching cannibalism there. And the other thing is, is that if you look into the uh, history of Judaism, they've made pork, uh, you know, a taboo food. And researchers investigating that found that when we are breaking pork down in our digestive system, it produces a byproduct called detritus, which is very toxic. I was watching a uh, video presentation by an expert in dark field microscopy one time, and he showed clearly through his microscope that within one hour of eating pork, the average person's blood looked just like a cancer patient, um, which is due to all the immune reaction to it. And, uh, it, you know, I can't even count the number of times I've had to take people off of pork. The point being is the rotation diet is set up so that you, on, on most days, you have an option so that it's not just pork, for example, there are other things you can eat, but those other things have to be distinctly different genetically from any of the things on the other three days. So what makes that rotation diet unique is that you can eat anything you want all day, 24 hours a day, as much as you want off each color, which is each of the four days, they each are a different color. But then after that, you got to stay completely off of it until three full four well until the fourth day till to 40 uh, 70 uh, whatever 80 whatever 72 plus 24 hours and 92 something four days that way you're getting a break from it so there are you know obviously the rotation diet can't be all inclusive or i would have had to you know write a huge book because the taxonomic tree i mean there's over a million uh edible animals and i think 350,000 edible plant species so um it would be a long job. Uh, and so it, basically what, it, what it allows you to do is it allows you to keep the immune system from getting overexcited. So back to the Cowboys and Indians. So he picks his shotgun up. Next thing you know, two arrows fly right by him. So he not only shoots at the people where he thinks the arrows are coming from, but he runs into the cabin and tells his family. And the next thing you know, there's five guys out there with shotguns. And the, then there's 10 Indians and they show up and they keep shooting arrows and this just keeps going on. And all this, um, as you can imagine, arrows hitting you or shotgun bullets hitting you uh, produces inflammation. So the more immune activity you have due to the phagocytosis and things like, uh, you know, the, the kill, natural killer cells and 
whatever immunoglobulin your body's using, which can be immunoglobulin A, about 89% of immunoglobulin A lines the small intestine and the intestinal tract or from mouth to anus, because that's the first entry into the body for food is through that canal, the alimentary canal. Then you have immunoglobulin uh, G and immunoglobulin M. Uh, and the most acute one is IgE, immunoglobulin E, which is what gives you acute immune responses where you get things like hives. So the more your cortisol levels rise up to control inflammation, the more your immune system gets suppressed. Initially, cortisol stimulates the immune system, which if you think about it, if we were in the wild and we got bit by an alligator or, or uh, an animal, it could have very pathogenic bacteria in its mouth. So when we're in an acute uh, fight or flight situation, high levels of adrenaline, adrenaline and cortisol and Robert Sapolsky's research goes very deep into this shows the immune system becoming excited. But if we have repeated exposures to high levels of cortisol or high levels of stress, period, the immune system shuts down because the body has to conserve energy to deal with the, the lion or the tiger or whatever dragon you're creating in your mind like someone getting pissed off because they're stuck in traffic is is basically creating an imaginary tiger that's stalking them but they don't actually have to run or fight so they get loaded with a release of blood sugar heart rate goes up blood pressure goes up and if you do this to yourself frequently enough then you end up with a leaky gut syndrome because that chronic overexposure to cortisol has a very negative effect on the gut lining and it leads to leaky gut syndrome. The three most common things that do that are medical drug side effects, alcohol consumption, and um, stress. Stress being the number one. Stress meaning anything that produces a stress reaction in you, which for most people is almost anything, especially today. Um, so, what I'm pointing to here is, is there's also another thing, and that is that when you follow a four-day rotation diet long enough for your body to calm itself, if, if a person has indications of food allergy or food intolerance, and for example, I've had many people go get blood tested and one of two things happens. They either come back with nothing or they come back with 50 food allergies and intolerance. But oftentimes those blood tests are very wrong. Even today, I've done double blood draws twice, sent my own blood in under my name and a fake name. And each time, and I used laboratories that I was told by experts were the best, you could not tell that they were the same person by any means whatsoever. It was my blood both times, but there was no correlation in the, in the findings. They look like two completely different people. So the rotation diet is actually, um, in a, a sense, it's an exclusion diet. And so what happens if someone has leaky gut or they have bad food reactions and I'm trying to figure out what's going on, I keep their food selection to the minimum number, one or two vegetables and one piece of flesh. If you, The more you eat, the more you have to sift through and the less you can be sure that the symptoms are coming from any one thing. If you eat bacon all by itself and you get a headache, there's no question it was the bacon. But if you be, eat bacon, eggs, beans, and toast, well, all you just did was make the diagnostic journey a lot longer. And another very important thing is anytime you eat something, 
with something that's inflaming the gut because you're getting a reaction to it, undigested food molecules of the things that you love to eat will pass through the gut with whatever offender you're eating and you will begin to develop antibodies to everything you love to eat, which is why by the time people get to me for help and I do blood tests on them, I've seen people with over 50 food intolerances and, and many food allergies they didn't know they had. And the comment I get almost always is, oh my God, that's everything I love to eat on that list. Well, the, I think I mentioned it before, the research shows that your highest levels of intolerance in any country in the world are to the foods most eaten. So we have high levels of intolerance to peanut butter and nuts in this country. We have high levels of intolerance to eggs and we have very high levels of intolerance to dairy. But in Japan and places like China and Japan where they eat a lot of rice, their number one food intolerance is to rice because it's most likely to be in the gut when they're under enough stress for the gut to leak. So the process of keeping the food numbers down and your diet very simple uh, is important or you will have a very long journey to try to figure it out and in the meantime you'll keep inflaming your gut and you can keep adding more and more food intolerances and you can get to the point where it's this bad i've had many patients that had pushed this even after i've been trying to coach them on this you know people have very addictive eating patterns and they'll do this for six months or a year and keep nodding their head when I tell them, you really need to be careful. You really need to be careful, which is why I started making people fill out daily food logs and sending them to me on a daily basis for analysis. Um, because otherwise they ended up running out of money before they could change their behavior, which doesn't really help. And so you, you keep uh, seeing this pattern. And if you're not, uh, careful, you can be like a lot of people who come to me and cannot, there's nothing they can eat in the store. So what I've had to do on many occasions is I've had to have them find Mediterranean markets, Middle Eastern markets, Hindu markets, Chinese markets. They've got to go into their town and find where all the markets are for different cultures so they can shop for foods and eat foods that they've never eaten before, which for a lot of people is very scary because food, you know, the ego is very addicted to routine and doesn't like change. And then they off, often have no idea how to cook these things or what they are. So if you, if you keep provoking the pain teacher long enough, you'll end up in a long classroom situation that will include cooking school with foreign food. And there will be nothing the medical system can do for you because you'll actually inflame your gut so bad that you're, you're likely to become a chronic fatigue patient or a fibromyalgia, uh, fibromyalgia patient or show all the signs of irritable bowel syndrome and get misdiagnosed. And then you'll burn your adrenals out. Then you'll become hypothyroid. Then you'll get depressed. Then you'll be on drugs for depression. Then you'll start gaining weight. You'll get freezing cold. Your sex drive will be zero. Your energy levels will be zero. And if you're foolish enough, you'll go to the gym and try to work out real hard to force yourself to get slim again. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> oh, oh, it's very familiar. A lot of people on that treadmill. Yeah. So to answer one of your previous questions, how did I figure that out? Well, I had two very smart people working for me. One of them, Cara Burke, who had a, a, 
a degree in uh, biology from uh, UCSD, University of California, San Diego. And then I had a, a, a research assistant named Brian Walsh, who's now a very successful naturopathic physician. And I gave them Lawrence Dickey's books, and I have other books in my library with a taxonomic tree. And I tasked them with the job of identifying enough foods that had completely separate genus to put on each day of that four-day rotation diet so that if you ate in alignment with the foods offered, there's no way that you would trigger uh, an excited immune response because none of those genes uh, mirror each other. In other words, they, they're, they're different enough that the immune system does not recognize it as an offender. So that's how I did it. Um, at the time, this was probably uh, around 2000, 2001, I'm guessing, somewhere in there. Uh, there was only the only other rotation diet I could find anywhere doing a worldwide liter literature search was from some lady. And it was a little a bunch of papers with a plastic spiral bind that I bought from her. But there was no information on how she created it and I couldn't um, track it. But. I had to make sure that before I put it into my book and before I tested it with my patients and myself, that I made sure that it was uh, taxonomically correct. So I didn't just follow the idea, but I bought her rotation diet because I had read about it doing all sorts of research on these issues. And I kept uh, a couple of times in naturopathic books, they talked about rotation diets, but there was no explanation of it. So I bought it just to see what does it look like. And, and so then I saw sort of the model. And from there, I built my own rotation diet. There's three levels of rotation diet that I teach. One is just a standard rotation diet, um, what I call a training rotation diet. And so the training rotation diet is not genetics, specific to genetics. It's an introduction to behavior change. And what I do is I have people just write down everything they eat during the day. So they might have chicken, French fries, uh, salad, which contains olives, um, lettuce, and uh, tomatoes, let's say. And so then their next day, they can eat anything they want, but they cannot eat any of the things that they ate the previous day. So if they go out and they have turkey or duck and they want to eat that they can but they can't eat chicken and they can eat anything but the salad or the tomatoes or the olives or the uh roquefort dressing and so even though it's not genetically specific it introduces people to the concept of more food variety which is critical because most people are very poor with food variety and it just introduces behavioral change so they get in the habit of uh, basically becoming conscious about what they're doing instead of eating uh, purely out of uh, reflexive program behavior. The next level is the rotation diet. So you follow it as is in the book. The third level, which I use for people that are quite sick or have a disease or a severe gut issue cancer, things like that. That's what I call a medical rotation diet. And on a medical rotation diet, I make people rotate spices. Uh, basically, everything has to be rotated, fats and oils. Typically, the immune system doesn't really get too excited about fats and oils if there's no protein in them. So 
For example, butter has enough dairy protein to trigger off the immune system in someone that's hypersensitized, but ghee has no protein in it. Therefore, some people can get away with ghee even when they're reacting to butter. Uh, the reason is there's no carbohydrates or fats that'll kill you, but there's a myriad of protein-based organisms uh, that will kill you. So the immune system is much more oriented toward anything made of proteins and far less concerned about things made of fats and carbohydrates because nobody's ever died from a carrot uh, infection, but many people, for example, have died of a parasite or a fungal infection, all of which are protein-based organisms. So... That's sort of a, an overview of uh, the rotation diet and why to use it, how to use it. And uh, it's a hell of a lot cheaper than not paying attention and, you know, ending up in doctor's offices. And, you know, I've watched all sorts of people uh, just destroy themselves with food and, and being unconscious and even doctors and therapists that have this knowledge. For example, I've watched many of my students come through my training, but they're so addicted to their foods that they tell everybody else what to do. But I watch them getting sicker and fatter until finally one day when they come to a more advanced class, I say, okay, it's time for you to stop playing that game now because you're training your patients to know what to look at. And you're so caught in your own story. You don't realize they're looking right at you and inevitably, you're going to have to face the embarrassment one day of someone saying to you, well, it doesn't look like you're following a rotation diet and you, it looks like you need to based on what you told me. So um, I always remind all Czech professionals, you are being trained to read a person's body and coaching people is training them to read their own body, which is the same system you use they can use to read yours. So if you don't wear it, don't share it is my rule. If you don't wear it, don't share it. That's great. On the, on the food variety part, Paul, if we could just kind of dive into that a little bit. So when people are on the journey, if people have symptoms, leaky gut or, you know, an undiagnosed digestive problem, cutting the variety down is what gets them out of the woods. But then the ultimate goal is to add all that variety back in. Is that correct? Over time? Yes. Um, and one way to add variety in, in a situation like that is just, you, you have to keep rotating what you're putting in. So you can eat, uh, for example, you might be getting duck on bird day and you have that one day, then the next rotation, you can be eating chicken from a completely different farm. Then you could eat uh, turkey. Then you could eat quail. Then you could eat pheasant, uh, dot, 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 right? Um, you could look at all the foods that are on any given column. And as long as, say, you're keeping your foods to three, if you keep rotating within the rotation, you can still get a lot of a variety. And by the way, you have to be very careful with supplements because huge amounts of supplements have like 30 or 40 different plants in them, especially things like multivitamins. So oftentimes people are following the rotation diet, but they come to me and, and they're confused as to why they're still feeling lousy and not getting as good a results as, as I thought they would and told them they probably would. And inevitably I find out, well, are you taking any kind of supplements? And lo and behold, they've got some, you know, mega supplement or something that has 40 different things. 
many of which have uh, foods that uh, have uh, molecules that are coming from grain-based foods. So they have gluten in them, like different grasses or, or uh, wheat or barley and things like that. So depending on, you know, how strict the person needs to be, you also have to look at the ingredients really of everything that enters your body, including the side effects of medical drugs, because you would be shocked if you started looking up the side effects of drugs and see how many of them have gastrointestinal inflammation as a side effect. And also you have to be very careful about eating foods that are prepared in restaurants or that come out of packages uh, because spending a lot of time in the food additives dictionary, I found that probably about 40% of fall, all food additives, preservatives, colorings, emulsifiers, flavorings, etc., are listed right in a food additives dictionary as gastro, uh, gastrointestinal and inflammatory. So um, what you find out is that almost everything people eat in the name of health food is uh, full of stuff to make it last on the shelf, to make it look pretty, et cetera, that actually inflames your gut. And so you can easily become what I call a fit, sick person. Yeah, I I think that's very true. And, you know, it's funny, we were um, just driving, we went to Paris for the weekend because it's easy to do when you're in Luxembourg. And, you know, it was funny because we were on the way home and we just stopped at a... um, uh, like a gas station. And I just pulled the Snickers off the shelf. And I just said to Amelia, like, re, you know, I think it was in a different, it was probably in French or something, but she read off the ingredients of a Snickers bar. And it actually in Europe, a Snickers bar, the worst ingredient is sugar. There's no like corn syrup. There's no high fructose. There's no, yeah. there's not all these things. And it's funny because when she read off the ingredients, I'm like, that sounds a lot like a, like a health food protein bar outside of the pure sugar. Like if you swap that out with coconut sugar and you've got a health food bar back in the U.S. <laughs> well, there's your next project. What's that? <laughs> A healthy Snickers bar. <laughs> uh, I think someone beat me to the punch. I think there's plenty of, uh, quote, health food bars out there that are loaded with, with stuff. But so the last question on the rotation diet, Paul, well, actually I have two more. One is, is there any relationship um, taxonomically between the plants and animals in each day? So I noticed a few interesting sort of correlations just in terms of common uh, common combined foods. Like I think it was pork and pineapple are on the same day as an example. And that's like a common um, dish, right? So is there any relationship between the plant foods and the animal foods? And, and then the last thing on pork, it's just, is this a food that everyone should just give up in your opinion? Not necessarily. Everyone's genetics are unique. I think, you know, what's more important than giving it up prophylactically is realizing that what I'm telling you is if you don't have a healthy four doctor lifestyle and you don't manage your stress intelligently, the pork's just going to be one of many things you have to give up. If someone has a genetic reaction to pork, then they should give it up. Um, and, and the only way to figure that out is like I said, eat some bacon or some pork with nothing else and see, you know, typically if you do that for a day, one of two things is three things is going to happen. You're going to feel the same. You're going to feel a lot worse, or you're going to notice that you've symptoms you're getting or things you've been having for a long time, but had no idea it was coming from pork, like headaches or fatigue after eating, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, 
or or nothing's going to happen, in which case you're OK. Um, what's part of the problem is is with all meats is is it certified organic or is or, or you know, because you can't tell half the time if your body's reacting to the meat or all the poison in the meat from coming from commercial farms. So, you know, the the real truth is I've seen many cases where someone say couldn't eat pork. But then when I had them go buy certified organic pork, they had no problem with it. Uh, I've seen that happen over and over again. Uh, the other part of the question that I'm answering for you now is that um, when we built the rotation diet, we tried to put foods, plant foods that are, shall we say, commonly eaten with the animal foods on that day. Yeah, it makes sense. I because I, when I saw it, I was like, they either did this, and so it's it's all kind of relative. So the plants are in their own column, and the animals are on their own column, and then they just did us this favor. Or you know, the Hawaiians that have been combining pork and pineapple all these years had it right taxonomically. <laughs> yes, and uh, you know, about ninety percent of people have a fungal infection, and about ninety percent of people in the world have a parasite infection, and. Typically, uh, Aaron Fried Pfeiffer showed in his research all the way back in 1957 that the average person's um, digestive enzymes were severely depleted by about the age of 32 to 35, and their liver performance was about that of a 70-year-old. Now, that was in 1957. So one of the things I tell people, a couple things. One, if you want to enhance digestion, you can eat raw pineapple or raw papaya because the enzymes in pineapple and papaya will break meat down. But any other fruit is very bad to eat with meat if you have a gut problem, particularly if it's cooked because you get glycated end products. And what happens is cooking sugary fruits together with meats tends to produce a the cooking effect makes the protein when it mixes with the sugar it makes the protein very very rigid so think of um you know how rigid a sucker is like a kid's sucker right it's like rock candy so the sugar tends to crystallize and when you mix the sugar and the meat together you get these glycolated end products and they actually act like a fiber in the gut that doesn't break down and can be very, very irritating to the gut. So, again, there's all sorts of things. I mean, to really exhaust my knowledge of this, you'd have to ask me about 50 different issues because I, I only think of the things to say based on what I know to be true in a given case. But I'm trying to give you the sort of the overview uh, but, there, you know, clinically from case to case, you have to do things differently within the context of the four day rotation diet. One of the most common things I get is people say, well, I don't like any of the vegetables on bird day. Can I rotate uh, another vegetable in there? And I will say, well, yes, there's two ways to do that. <laughs> Go get a books of a book that has a taxonomic tree and spend the time to figure out where it goes or take what you like put it in there and test it with nothing else and see how your body responds to it. Or take one of the foods that's on the day that you're having the problem with, like a plant food and put it on another day and take it and stick it in the spot where you pulled something, say from day three to put on day one, but make sure you don't switch them around because otherwise you can screw the whole thing up. Now, if somebody was, 
quite sick, I wouldn't let them do that. I would have to check it myself, which can take a lot of time. I mean, it took these guys quite a long time. And, and with my help, I would imagine it took couple of weeks of them researching all this to put that four day rotation to diet. So it's not like it's a five minute job. The taxonomic tree is very big. Um, so it really depends on how severe the situation is. And if it's bad enough, I encourage people to fast and, and to do start off with a one day fast, build up to a three day fast. And if they've got a serious d disease and it looks like they really need to, really reset the system and let it heal, I would encourage them to go to a fasting center that can do up to a 16 day fast so that the body can really free itself of the burden and have the time and the resources to uh, regenerate the tissues and, and detoxify the self, the, the body with, with medical supervision, which is far not less invasive than medical approaches and surgical approaches uh, and if you look into, there's a great documentary, for example, called the science of fasting. If you look at what they're able to actually, uh, cure with fasting alone, water fasts, um, it's very obvious that, uh, medicine is not following the Hippocratic oath of first do no harm. They're usually starting with <laughs> the most invasive procedure and ignoring the non-invasive procedures, such as paying attention to what you're eating and fasting. Right. And, and you mentioned that when you first brought up, um, you know, you the background of the four day rotation diet, you talked about clinical ecology, a book by Dr. Uh, Lawrence Dickey. And, and that was in 1972. And in part one of this podcast, you mentioned that even in 1972, they were, they were kind of, you know, trying to discredit him or take that book off the shelves. And, you know, here we are, you know, 50 some odd years later. And, and a question for you, Paul is, what we're seeing right now, when I look back at the last just, you know, call it less, but we'll say 20 years that I've been really paying attention, the, you know, the conventional approach, and it's my story when I first went to HLC level one, the conventional approach has been seemingly wrong about everything, right? Like from grains to saturated fat, to salt, to sugars, to additives, to nutrient timing, to the food pyramid. And, and they've been seemingly wrong about everything. And now when we go to COVID and what we're dealing with today, and in the taxonomic tree, you talked about how everything is related to three primary uh, beginnings, right? Viruses, bacteria, and fungi. And when I look at what's going on now with this pandemic, I feel like, you know, there was this, you know, uh, there was this incredible overestimation of the damage this virus uh, was going to cause. And, and I would love for you to make people a little bit more clear around where viruses come from, their role, et cetera. But dovetailing from that, what I'm seeing today is not only kind of a, you know, a, a gross overestimation of the of the damage this thing was going to cause. But just like your friend back in 1972, I'm seeing my friends that put out quality information about vitamin D have their information suppressed. And, and I think that it's this, you know, there's the like, the world is a friendly place, Einstein's, you know, uh, most important question. And so when you see someone wrong, it, there's some forgiveness that can take place. But when all of a sudden you see the deliberate suppression of information and people that are spreading the good word, like your friend back in 1972, what, how can you explain like the sort of spiritual root or, or, or unrelenting sort of 
conviction and belief in convention after they've literally been wrong about seemingly everything as it relates to our health. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt the show. Wanted to quickly tell you about my friends at Quicksilver Scientific and their brand new product, Immune Charge, which is this fast acting, super potent immune booster. It's the one, if you follow me on social media, that I've got my mom taking at the moment. Emilia takes it. I take it. We just had a weekend in Paris. And the whole time, because of COVID, it's open for business. You can go to the Eiffel Tower, but we boosted the heck out of our immune system with immune charge. This is a blend of vitamins A, C, D, K, E, all wrapped up in elderberry, and the dosages are extremely potent. Uh, we're talking 10,000 IU of vitamin D, 7,500 micrograms of vitamin A, 2,000 milligrams of vitamin C, and over 1,000 micrograms of vitamin K, all in this little shot that is super easy to travel with. I put about five of them uh, in my bag and five of them in Amelia's bag when we were, when we were hitting the road for the weekend. Uh, these things are absolutely awesome, super incredibly convenient and majorly absorbable and bioavailable. That is the thing with all of Quicksilver, Quicksilver's products with their delivery systems, which are basically the tiniest, tiniest uh, nanospheres. These liposomes are much smaller than any liposomes you'll find in any other products on the market. And therefore, you're going to, right in the capillaries in your mouth, you're going to absorb all of these nutrients and put them to work. And to get yours, all you have to do is head on over to QuicksilverScientific.com and use code STACKED at checkout if it is your first order. You're going to save 15%. That's their gift to you. If it is not your first order and it's your second order or your 22nd order, use code STACKED10 and you're still going to save 10% on your cart. All right, guys, that's it for me. Back to the podcast with my good friend, Paul Check. Well, uh, that's a good question. And uh, I will say to begin with that if you want about three hours of a deep, deep explanation of that, listen to my Living 4D with Paul Check podcast with Leslie Manukian, who is an award-winning uh, documentary producer. She produced a uh, documentary on the dangers of vaccinations called The Greater Good. And I think it's gotten multiple awards, which, of course, was taken off of Amazon. Um, but uh, she is also a board member in Weston A. Price. She's done a tremendous amount of research into these things. And I listened to her on Josh Trent's podcast and thought, I got to talk to this lady because she's got her, she's got her uh, shit together, as they say. And so we go into it in great depth. But the short answer is, well, everything you just said is true. Most people that are even half awake and paying attention know it's true. And if you study the history of medicine like I have, you see as soon as the American Medical Association was formed, it really became almost organized crime. And their goal was to make anything that could be profitable for health controlled by them, kind of like a mafioso organization. And they pushed everybody else out of business. And if there was any legitimate cures, be they shamanic, folk medicine, whatever, if they couldn't buy the rights to it permanently, then they would force those people out of business through a variety of means. And if you read the book, The Politics of Healing by Dan Haley, it documents at least 12 cases of people that came up with things like cures for cancer that wouldn't give them up 
and were suddenly found with a suicide note beside them. Um, and in every case, the family said there's absolutely no way that uh, this person committed suicide, something seriously wrong. So what you're looking at is a disease maintenance system that is very, very profitable and is one of the greatest uh, contributors to the gross national product of almost every uh, industrialized nation. So the government, for its own reasons, such as having a huge defense budget and uh, people at the top making piles and piles of money unethically and really illegally, allow things like that to go on because it creates a huge amount of taxable income that can been, then be used for other exploits, what have you. So what you find out, if you really just want to get right to the bottom of it, the system is driven by making money. Uh, I've, I heard an interview a couple of years ago with a doctor who began working in traditional medicine and he was in a hospital after he finished his fellowship and he'd made it to the point where he was sort of one of the higher ups. And he said, what ultimately left him to leave is that whenever there was a slowdown in the hospital and they weren't making enough money, they would bring the directors together and key physicians and they would have uh, brainstorming meetings <clears throat> on how to create um, scare tactics to get more people. So you see, for example, as we've gotten more scanning technologies, there's tons of television commercials and ads saying, oh, you might have cancer. You need to get a scan. You need to get your yearly scan or whatever. Uh, you know, things like breast examinations, uh, mammograms have been found to be very, very um, untrustworthy I mean, there's a great book called What Doctors Don't Tell You by Lynn McTaggart. When you read the book, it'll just blow your mind when you realize, you know, for example, uh, chemotherapy and radiation therapy are only about 4% effective. If you compared that to natural cancer treatments, it would be a joke to even consider those therapies uh, if you compared them to things like fasting. So ultimately, the whole Hippocratic Oath was thrown out the window, which is first do no harm. And... Basically, when you come in, they're trying to sell you as many tests and as many drugs. Of course, they're selling it to the insurance company, which creates another huge racket. Um, so ultimately, we have a disease maintenance system because it is a business model that self-perpetuates. The more you allow garbage into the food supply, the more you allow uh, consumption of medical drugs that are dangerous, that could be replaced, many of them probably about 80% of them could be replaced with natural herbal approaches and, and plants and foods. And the more surgeries you do that are unnecessary, basically the more you stress people. Um, and when you get into the politics of this, you find out that the government's in bed with the large corporations. They're in bed with the food manufacturers, the food manufacturers in bed with the medical system they're all in bed with the transportation companies. And so you see that at the top, there's uh, <clears throat> a number of corporate giants that all basically have this revolving door system of feeding each other. Um, for example, about 90% of the world's food supply is produced by five major corporations, one of which is Cargill. So then you look into research on organic food and organic farming. And what you find is that in the last 
15 years or so, there's been more and more research papers showing up stating that there's no difference between organic food and commercial food, and it's just a waste of money. I've even seen several uh, commercials on television saying that. But in my HLC2 program, I have a chart by an agricultural professor showing 95 organic certifications, most of which are owned by companies like Coca-Cola, Pepsi, uh, Snickers, Mars Bar, Nestle, Hershey's, people that you would never, ever think would be involved in organic farming. And so I researched this and what I found is something very, very interesting. Here's how they do this. These corporations also fund university agricultural programs and, ag and they fund science programs and the drug company drug companies fund 60% of the average medical doctor's education. So they're taught what to think, not how to think. They're taught what pills to give, not how to do real medicine. The average medical doctor, for example, only gets about four hours of training in nutrition and only uh, minimal training in anatomy, unfortunately. And now they don't even use cadavers. They train them on computers. So you, you see that, um, I forgot where I was going on that one, but anyhow, the, the, the key thing that's happening is that people are not really being taught how to take care of themselves. I remember back in the, I think it was the Reagan era. I can't remember when C. Everett Koop was the Surgeon General for the United States. One day I just happened to see him giving an address uh, I don't know, I was watching something on TV and the commercial came on. It was a presidential address. And he warned the U.S. public that of the top 10 killers, eight of them were the direct result of poor diet and lifestyle choices. And that if people only paid more attention to what they eat and drink, many of these diseases would not be a problem. Guess what happened to C. Everett Koop the next day? Commit suicide. He got fired as the Surgeon General. Well, that's at least for, better than suicide. For saying but, that. Yeah. Okay? Because it went against the business plan. We don't have a government anywhere anymore. We have corporate headquarters. And if you follow the money, this is easy to track. And there's many documentaries and books about it. Um, and, and this so is... And this is why people like JFK get killed for trying to interfere with things like that. Right. And it's, you know, the Surgeon General. And that's the thing about this, you know, this crisis we're in right now. And it's, you know, the U.S. Surgeon General two months ago on Twitter posted, uh, do not buy masks. They're completely ineffective. It's, you know, it's a waste of your time and money. And then two months later, posted a video of himself teaching you how to make a mask out of an old T-shirt at home. So yes. I just, you know. Yes. So I, that's the cost of honesty. You see, somebody said, you better rectify that or not only are you going to lose your job, but we will completely destroy you. Right. And it's so how do we explain this, Paul? Because I think it's, you know, I, I talk with a lot of um, really bright, amazing people on a daily basis. And, you know, it's when we when we follow the, the money or follow the explanation or follow the story and it's like, all right, can we agree the food pyramid was wrong? Yes. Can we agree that the uh, recommendation for carbohydrate intake was wrong? Yes. Can we agree? And then all of a sudden we get to this crisis we're in right now and it's like, oh, but this is real. Get the mask on, get the gloves on. So how do we explain the 
this, despite all the things you just mentioned, and to me, just how obvious it is that we are, we are the, uh, you know, we are the white whale of this industry, and we were just being completely taken advantage of. So how do you, how do we wrap our heads around what is the explanation for people, including very smart people, that still have this unrelenting confidence and belief in what they're hearing, being told, uh, the, you know, absorbing all these, you know, fearful, you know, recommendations and mandates. How do we explain the consciousness of the general public public that can see it in one respect and just cannot see it in the other? Well, Look, if you study brainwashing, the science of brainwashing, which I have because I had to know that to help people heal their belief systems. First of all, our education systems were developed by plantation owners in the slave era. The education systems were developed by plantation owners for two key purposes. One, to keep the children busy throughout the day for longer periods of time so they could get more work out of the slaves Two, to program the children to do exactly what they wanted them to do and to knock out any creative impulse because creativity is a dangerous thing on an assembly line, for example. So our entire, and Ken Wilber discusses this quite thoroughly in one of his books, which I think might be a brief history of everything I can't remember, but um, basically what we have is an entire education system that is funded by and directed by corporations and it is taught to indoctrinate you with a belief system that totally and utterly supports being passive and believing it as fact. So it supports the agenda of the people at the top, which is, you know, the very people we're talking about. Now, if you look at some of the research that's coming out on Bill Gates, for example, and Le Leslie Manukian goes right into this in my podcast, she talks all about how many billions and billions and billions of dollars Bill Gates has given to and is giving to not only the NIH vaccine manufacturers, vaccine researchers, government lobbies, the government, but a huge amount of his money, many, many billions is paid directly to the major sources of media worldwide and he not only pays them this money, but he has a panel of experts that craft the exact messages that they want everyone to hear, such as you've got to wear your mask, such as this, there's going to be a massive death toll. It's a bit of an interesting uh, correlation that three months after Bill Gates patented one of the variations of the, Vero uh, the uh, coronavirus, I think it's coronavirus 15, I think, three months after he patented that virus, which, if I remember right, was being used to test in uh, centers that the United States government has in concert with China to, to make virulent viruses for bi bacterial warfare, biological warfare. Um, he said he came public three months after he got his patent and said, soon we will be facing a viral pandemic. So uh, there's many, many other things I could tell you. But if you follow the money, what do you see? That this whole virus scare is a strategic plan, just like implementing um, TSA in the airports was after 9-1-1. And years after TSA was implemented, researchers did 
comprehensive analysis of how much it had increased safety for air travelers, and the outcome was 0%. But what they were doing is using the same strategies used in the military to brainwash young men into killing a commie for mommy, which is creating a problem. You can't get on the airport in, on the airplane unless you follow these orders exactly and putting a carrot in front of their face. Only when you go through this line, get scanned or whatever, <clears throat> throw away all your good food and your makeup and your water and waste billions of dollars. Can you get on the airplane? And if you go against the rules, you don't get on. So this is a technique to train people to be conformist. And so is the entire education system, except for, you know, elite private schools, Steiner schools and places that are where you can pay a lot of money to have your child taught how to think, not what to think. And then so you look at where Bill Gates is going with this whole thing. <clears throat> Ultimately, he is developing technologies to not only chip people, but to determine you, they can scan you, know exactly what vaccinations you have or have not had. They can use these chips with 5G system, phone systems to track you everywhere you are. They can tell what room you're in in your house. So it's part of a massive surveillance system, which is how the military industrial complex has chosen to make money now because it's too dangerous to start wars with nuclear weapons. We have enough nuclear weapons in stock to destroy the planet 179 times over. And almost every major company with nuclear weapons has a doomsday plan. So if the United States fires an intercontinental ballistic missile at them and they know that they are not going to be able to recover, they fire one back at you and say, fine, we're all going to die then. So to keep the military industrial complex profitable, they've now got into heavy into security, such as TSA and phone systems. And, uh, you know, uh, if you do the research on the iPhone and phones like it, they're monitoring you 24 hours a day. They can hear, record everything. Even when the phone is off, they're still recording anything you video. It's automatically uploaded to a server where the government has complete access to everything. And while the corona pandemic was going on, they were installing 5G phone systems all over the world in uh, kindergartens, elementary schools, junior high schools, high schools and colleges, because they knew if they didn't do it, then they would get too much resistance from people that know better. And when you look at all the things that are being taken off the Internet so nobody could see them or the interviews that they don't want you to read. Every one of them is telling you a truth that goes against their agenda. And Bill Gates stands to make trillions of dollars by making vaccination mandatory. And interestingly enough, I was listening to an interview in which a physician who is personal friends with Bill Gates, personal physician, let it out that Bill Gates did not even vaccinate his own children. So as somebody's wisely said, I saw on the internet, someone said, what make Bill Gates thinks he can protect us from viruses when he can't even protect his own computers from them. <laughs> <laughs> oh. and, and there's another example. I've researched this. If you look into all these companies selling software to protect your computer from viruses, They've been found to be the companies manufacturing the viruses that release them out into the system. So they keep creating new viruses. So you have to keep buying their software updates. One time I was doing research for my book, How to Eat, Move and Be Healthy. And I found in the journal, The Ecologist, which is very excellent. I'm surprised it's still available because it tells the truth to a very high degree. 
They investigated the boards of directors on several major corporations, such as R.J. Reynolds, cigarette manufacturing, alcohol companies that make hard liquor and things like that. And they found consistently across the board that when they followed the money of each of the board of directors on each of these corporations, they had invested in the disease making process, the cigarettes and the medical cures for them. Consistently. So this is why it is said money is the root of all evil. Then you have another issue. People like Bill Gates are so in love with their own ideas, but so veiled to the shadow of the fact that they think they're trying to be world saviors. They've convinced themselves that we need biotech, that we can't feed people organically. The chemical manufacturers have convinced themselves that we have to use chemicals to destroy pests and weeds which any good farmer will tell you the pests and the weeds on your farm give you your report card as a farmer and that they're all there to produce balance in the ecosystem. And anybody that understands nature knows that. So when you add it all up, what we're doing is we're creating a silent public war to create fear, stress, and division to get people to behave irrationally while forcing them to conform so that those at the top can justify implementing high security systems, taking over your right to your own body because they, they use all the medical statistics to say, look, people are too unintelligent to feed themselves and take care of themselves. We have to do it for them. So they actually play both sides of the fence very, very calculatingly Um, I saw a a presentation by a guy who had looked in very thoroughly. He was from Japan, an American guy in Japan, had looked into this issue of the coronavirus very thoroughly. He found documents in the German government dating all the way back to 2013, implementing a martial law strategy through the coronavirus plan. And there's documents in several governments around the world going as back as far as 2011, staging up to get ready for the whole coronavirus pandemic we've just gone or are going through. And they've said that it's going to come in waves. Why? Because to create conformity, you can't go too fast or you'll you'll cause uh, a civil war. So what they're doing is they're actually ramping up so that the major money holders that own the military industrial complex, the vaccination industry, the medical drug industry, et cetera, can all make trillions and trillions of dollars. Then you get people like Google and Zuckerberg from Facebook. They're all in bed with each other. They're monitoring your every move. They have over 5,000 data points on every single person that uses a phone or uh, Facebook or Google, et cetera. They're monitoring your every move. Then they use that to and artificial intelligence to create predatory marketing strategies so that as soon as you open your email, they're selling you things that miraculously you're wondering how in the hell could they know that my wife's pregnant? I haven't told anybody, but they're monitoring everything, all your exchanges when you're talking to the doctor, every penny you spend, every place you go, wherever you sign and use a credit card. So they already know what your buying habits are. They know what's going on in your life. And so they use very advanced technology to trick you into buying things that they want you to buy from the people that 
they want you to buy them from. Dr. Mercola went into this at great length on his interview with, uh, I think his name's Epstein, the guy that really <laughs> let the cat out of the bag on how Google was doing this to people. So really what we've done is we've been passive enough and brainwashed enough to allow the complete loss of our freedom of rights to our bodies, to our homes, to our own sanctum, um, to our rights to choose. We've lost our ability for freedom of speech to share information. And so what's happening in society is they're doing exactly what they've done through commercial farming. Whenever you start monocropping, not only do you destroy the soils, but you ruin diversity. One of the examples I give, I think Michael Pollan said in one of his books, uh, it used to be in England that there was 170 something varieties of apples. But now through commercial farming, on average, there's only four species of apples being sold in England and in most places of the world. So what happens is whenever you lose diversity, you decrease survivability. OK, think about it. If you got 10 smart people trying to solve a problem, you've got a lot better chance of solving it than if you've got two. So nature is loaded with diversity at every level. So she has an opportunity to approach challenges from many different angles, from viruses to funguses to bacteria to different species, you name it. So what we're doing is we're knocking diversity out of the food model. The average person today, based on research, only eats 10 to 12 foods their entire lifetime. Almost uh, only four to six percent of all the food eaten worldwide is organic. The average person, interestingly, in another research study was shown to only know 10 to 12 exercises. So that was an interesting parallel. Um, so what we're allowing to happen is we're completely destroying the diversity in farming and in nature, which is leading to a select few corporations able to make massive amounts of money. And it's interesting, and I, I share this in my podcast with Leslie Manukian. When I was a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division, we, we would get what are called battlefield strategy training classes. One of the first things they tell you about war is that the first thing you got to do to control an enemy is knock out their communications and their food supply. Well, look what's happening. Our own people, our own corporations are knocking out our communication systems and only allowing us to say what, what they want us to say, whether it's right or wrong, as long as it supports their agenda, It'll be allowed. If it doesn't support their agenda, it won't be allowed. So our communication systems have been knocked out. We're no longer able to work as a living organism to use the intelligence of each other through diversity to create solutions to major threats, which happen to be coming from within our own populace. And our food supply is under the control of, of five, maybe six at max major corporations and any moment, if they stop delivering that food, there will be complete and utter mayhem, which will allow them to use the military industrial complex to implement martial law, which would allow them to implement mandatory vaccinations, mandatory anything they want. So what you have is a corporate farm and in it now are human beings, but the walls are invisible because they're 
electromagnetic. You're carrying them around in your pocket called your phone. Your computer system is part of it. Shot Uh, caller. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so, you know, this is really like an amazing display of military technology at its highest being turned back on the public because it's too dangerous now to fight a war against other countries with any level of magnitude because there's too many countries now that have nuclear weapons, most of which developed them because they were pissed off at the United States of America. And if you study what happened in Hiroshima, United States actually dropped the bombs after the Japanese had surrendered. And they did it to send a message to everybody, do not fuck with us. They did not have to drop those bombs. That's not hard to find out if you do your research. And so now if you look at what Lao Tzu says in the Tao Te Ching, in paraphrase, he says, you build a weapon. Your neighbor builds a bigger weapon. You build a bigger weapon. Your neighbor builds a bigger weapon. This goes on until you destroy each other. Well, that's makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> so, gosh, it's um, so so. Paul, where do we, you know, where the hell do we go from here? And are we close? Do you suspect we're close to any sort of peace? And especially in the United States, I'm obviously not in the United States right now. Um, yeah, smart. And then what? <laughs> Now, when I talk to you and and we have this conversation and then, you know, I know you just interviewed Zach Bush and I'm excited to hear that talk. And so now we've got Zach Bush saying, you know, the end is near for all these, you know, um, environmental reasons. And now it's like, well, the end is also near because of this, you know, warfare politics. What's what's next, if you had to guess? And I know we've got an election coming up, which only makes this more ludicrous well, there's there's not that's a whole that's a whole farce that's a prop up uh, you know those aren't the people that are controlling anything they're just puppets all you got to do is study anybody you can vote for it's just a choice between one devil and another you, you no matter which way you go you're screwed anybody that really wants to care for people would have to get massive amounts of money together to even begin to compete And then they would use smear campaigns to get rid of them very quickly and find out that, you know, one day they uh, touched somebody's genitals when they were 13 and they would put it all over the news and say this person's not a a fit to be a leader and every other damn thing. Um, So really there's, you know, there's a few things going on at once. Um, If you really want to get to the core of it, you have to understand what consciousness is. Edward Edinger, MD, a famous union analyst, gives us a very beautiful definition of consciousness. In paraphrase, consciousness is a psychic substance produced not blindly, but in living awareness of opposites. The entire universe is a self-conscious organism. That's been proved by the highest levels of science, like John Archibald Wheeler and many, many others, without a long discussion of that but basically you can't be aware of north unless you have south hot unless you have cold good unless you have bad and so what happens if you study the history of the planet as long as human beings have been on this planet haven't they been warring with each other yeah 
as long as there's been emperors and kings, haven't they been implementing exactly these kinds of strategies to control people? Book burning, yeah. Okay. If, if you study brainwashing in one of my books on brainwashing and the science of it, it states very clearly the Catholic Church had mastered brainwashing by the 8th century AD and they've been perfecting it ever since. Okay, well, remember the church used to be the one that created and owned all the militaries and the Vatican is known to be the richest corporation in the world. What am I saying? I'm saying that if you go behind it and say, let's get behind the scene, think of everything going on here like a play or a, uh, a, a movie set, which tracks right back to the Hindu concept of Maya, the great illusion. If you go behind it, none of it can be experienced without consciousness and consciousness cannot become consciousness. You can't be aware of the flow of energy and information without polarity so what happens is the world is actually set up with heavy polarity so that no matter who you are you're going to have to engage the opposites and pain is basically a mechanism that quickens consciousness think about it if i said to you joe i've got a magic wand here i'm going to give you a choice if i wave it across your head you will lose the wisdom gained from all the happy times in your life, or I can wave it across your head and I will erase all the painful experiences and the wisdom you gained. Which one of those, if you lost them, would make you more unintelligent? If you lost the pain teacher, you'd be in, in a tough place. You'd be in a very tough pace. So what happens is because biological evolution is really evolution of the universe becoming aware of itself, if we get too stuck at the ground level because things are too hunky-dory and happy all the time, we're all just zoned out on pot and sugar and alcohol, <laughs> then the universe is stunted in its capacity for evolution. So the whole world is built on the polarities of light and dark, day and night, hot and cold, fast and slow, expansion, contraction, yin and yang. Yin means darkness, wetness, emptiness, coolness, and it multiplies power. Yang is light, expansion, division, diversification, and it divides power. So when you look at the very fundamental fabric of the universe, it boils down to these two principles. David Bohm called yin the implicate, the infolded or seeded, and yang the explicate, that which is unfolding and can be seen and known in material form as this or that. So when you really get behind this whole thing, you see that nothing's changed with what's going on between human beings and how they relate to each other and even nature. Uh, you know, I hate to say it, but if you watch uh, the documentary 500 Nations by Kevin Costner and look into the history of the Native American Indians and Native populations all over the world, there's many, many records of them completely and utterly exhausting the resources of area, killing all the deer, killing all the wildlife, and having to keep moving, thus making them nomadic. Um, when we were using wood for fires, we were polluting the environment tremendously bad and wiping out the tree population to keep burning firewood all the time. So what you see is this 
engine of polarity, which the earth is really sort of like the playground that allows this uh, diversification and polarity to exist. And we're here in a world made of matter, which, uh, you know, atomic bonds are very tough to break. We all know, most of us know that a, a nuclear weapon is what happens when you f split an atom. Just one will do the trick because there's so much energy in there. Um, if you look at the current research in quantum physics, there's as much energy in one square centimeter of empty space as there is in all the matter in the known universe. So because we're like fish that don't know they're in water, we don't realize there's a massive amount of energy and matter is really the formation of that energy into patterns, which allows us to have the experience of life. But when we're here as spiritual beings or souls, if you will, expressions of consciousness, we are in a schoolyard where everything's tied up in matter because it's very, very hard to make massive change with matter very quickly. For example, when Hitler wanted to take over the world, he needed millions of dollars and a lot of people to do it, which makes it almost impossible for the rest of us not to find out about it. But I don't know if you've ever done any meditation or work in the astral plane. Have you done any astral travel within yourself? No. Okay, well, you've dreamed before. Yeah. That's astral travel. Okay. Okay, so let me ask you this. Have you ever become aware that you were dreaming? Like a, a lucid dream. Yeah. 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 Okay. What happens to the dream the instant you change your mind or thinking? To me, it, um, it becomes, I suppose, I, I suppose it becomes more entertaining. <laughs> um, well, just, well you're, you're missing the point. The instant you change your thinking, the dream changes to match it. Right. Okay. Right. If yep. you uh, all of a sudden think, oh my God, I'm dreaming. Next thing you know, you'll knock yourself right out of the dream. Right. If you think, oh, I'm dreaming I'm in bed with a beautiful woman, but I'd really like to have two. There'll be two women in bed with you instantly. So Steiner, who, by the way, make sure I tell you his philosophy on viruses. Um, Steiner said the reason for us to be here is to learn to control the power of our mind in a field of matter where things move very quickly. He gives the example that when a person dies, the first thing they find happening is that they're moving around the universe at the speed of thought until they realize it's them doing the thinking. Okay, so when you study mystics and you study people like Steiner and Ledbetter and Basant and many, many others and people like me that do a lot of work in these areas as a shaman, you will find that when you move out of the physical dimension into any higher dimension, because you're only embodied in light in the astral plane and the mind, you're just pure, just a pure flow of energy and information to the degree that you cannot manage your mind, you can be very destructive to other souls who have graduated out of the earth plane. Therefore, we as souls stay in the earth plane. And one of a great researcher, scientist of a high degree named Fred Bell, 
wrote a book. The title's very comprehensive. I can't remember the title, but it's like a thousand page book. But he says around the earth is what is called the ring past knot, which is an energetic domain that keeps souls in until they have demonstrated enough of a capacity to love, respect, and appreciate other souls not to be destructive to the point that it's unfair to other people. And we have to stay in this playground that is based in matter until we learn to work with the polarities of consciousness and do it based in love and respect for all other beings. Now, this is a very metaphysical explanation or a very spiritual explanation, but really my interest is always what's causing that and why does that keep happening? And so when you look at the history of this race, human beings, and you look at the, the history of war and the history of tribal battles and the history of religious battles, you know, Jung says all religious systems are designed to protect you from the direct experience of God. Why? Because God, by definition, is unconditional love. God is pure source, pure potential. God is that which contains all and is the source of all and that for which there is no other. So the problem is, is if you become one with God, there is no longer an I thou relationship, a subject object relationship. Right now you hear me talking to you. So I'm the object of your focus, but what's listening to me is the subject or the I inside of yourself, which is actually the universe itself. But when you come into the direct experience of union with God, there is no I thou. So therefore, there is no subject to witness an object and you don't know you're alive or that you've ever lived. There's no sense of time, space or anything. You just become what the Buddhists would call pure, unadulterated awareness. Therefore, there's nothing you can say about God. There's nothing you can describe about God. Because there's nobody there to describe it, because to describe anything requires a duality called mind, which requires a subject-object relationship. So Jung said all religious systems are designed to protect you from the direct experience of God because they program you with ideas and beliefs and commandments that are exactly what the mystics of every religion got killed for telling you will never get you to God because you will be stuck in a duality and you'll never have an experience of the divine or know what it is Rumi himself said to get to God you must become a heretic and many other things that I'm surprised didn't get him killed in the 12th century in a Muslim territory but so what you ultimately have in a nutshell is that the earth is a schoolyard in which there is always these polarities we call them good and evil whatever you want to call them that are working against each other. And there's a, a, a number of people in the world that actually incarnate to uphold the negative polarities, such as Bill Gates, Hitler, um, anybody that's got malice as their objective, uh, which is what we're talking about. And they uphold the negative polarity. And then those of us that are oriented toward love uphold the positive polarity and those two forces constantly interact. So the world is a conscious generating system that uses minerals and biology to progressively develop the person's conscious awareness of themselves so that the light that they're ultimately made of 
stores enough information and awareness to realize that it is what it is, that it is the universe itself and it can exist beyond the physical body, which is why we have now got myriads of information from people like Ray Moody, Ian Stevenson and many others. Ian Stevenson documented over 2,500 cases of reincarnation that was proved beyond a shadow of a doubt. The Buddhists have been telling us how they find the next Dalai Lama for centuries, which is they take the belongings of the previous Dalai Lama that died, such as glasses, shoes, clothing items. And the Buddhist monks use their ability to find the child when it's reincarnated. And they put a list of targets together that they suspect through their uh, spiritual investigations are probably the reincarnation of the Dalai Lama. Then they go to that family and they cover the floor with a variety of clothing and items that are similar to what they've brought. And they mix the items from the previous Dalai Lama in. And when they find the Dalai Lama who's been reincarnated, every time the child can identify its own belongings. And they've been doing this for a very long time. Steiner taught that the purpose of spiritual development is to use each of the organs and glands in our body through spiritual practices to develop a subtle energy double, which is made of light. And that is what lives on when we die because the physical body dies, but the spirit soul does not die. So until we develop ourselves spiritually, we are unconscious of where we wake up. I would say that it's based on vibration because everything in creation is made of vibration so just like you have a cell phone number if i dial that number i get you every time if i miss one number i get somebody else so if you want to look at it mathematically each soul develops a resonant vibration and the more loving you get as you approach being a saint or a sage a sage or a saint or uh, somebody who's very capable of loving which is what a saint's supposed to be you get closer and closer to a total vibration of zero. Once you reach zero, you're in nirvana, which means to blow out or extinguish. And then you just become one with God again. The problem is you may pop out as a cockroach somewhere or a stone. God really has no attachment to time whatsoever because (laughs) let's face it, God's got all the time there is. Um, So what I'm really saying, which, you know, for a lot of people who are, are not ready for it is probably you know, I'm probably being labeled as a nutcase right now, but uh, I'm a nutcase that's in, devoted his whole life to investigating these things and has a committed deep spiritual practice since I was a child. So Steiner basically says spiritual practices are specifically designed to teach you to love, even in the face of adversity and challenge, and to use your mind and your the capacity of the heart to enter into a state of coherence And through the development of living and thinking and behaving in those ways, we develop a subtle energy body and we develop each of our organs and our glands that is made of light. So when you die, what happens is the soul leaves the body, usually through the crown of the head, enters into the astral realm and it lives there most People that have looked into that say the cycle of life is much longer. So our death here is a birth into another dimension. And our birth here is a death in another dimension from which we came from. 
And so then we, we meet with various souls that are much more evolved than us. And we, as you see consistently in, in interviews with people that have had near-death experiences, we go through a life review. But in the life review, we get to experience the effects we've had on every other person, every animal, anything that we've done where we were consciously aware that we were doing it, but chose to harm anyhow, we actually experience what that other being plant animal or human experienced so that we become aware of, of what's really going on. Steiner says anything that you do unconsciously that harms another, the universe will absorb the karma for anything you do to harm another consciously, you must carry the karma for because it's part of your own growth and development as a high to, so to facilitate the growth and development of higher consciousness so the universe ultimately can become aware of what it really is. So what am I really saying? Everything that you're seeing and talking about and asking questions about is the interplay of two polarities. There are souls that choose to and are tasked with upholding the negative polarity so that consciousness does not flatline and evolution does not halt. So you asked what we can do about it. Well, if you want to change the world, change yourself then you know the world has changed for sure. And what do you do? You see the big show for what it is. And what do you do? You read the Bhagavad Gita and you get awakened to the fact that these polarities are part of the grand scheme of things. And without them, God could not know what God is, period. So we choose in our lifetime what we believe in enough to stand up for. We each have to go from being a child to becoming a warrior. Study the history of human beings. We always had rites of passage ceremonies to go from being a child to being an adult in which they usually beat us to the edge of our life or brought us through very challenging situations such as vision quests with psychedelics where we had to face our fear and we had to demonstrate enough courage to protect our people, our tribe, in the event of a war, to protect the women, to protect the children at any cost. And if you did not pass that test, some tribes would kill you because the cost of carrying a non-productive adult was so high that they realized that they had to execute people that did not have the goods to become an adult after they were given enough time which is the normal span of childhood. Most of these adult rite of passages happen between somewhere between 13 and 15 years of age. Women go through their own rite of passage by giving birth. So mother nature handled that one for them. And that's a hell of a shamanic journey all by itself, which can bring you right to the edge of death or right into death, as we all know. So what we've got today is we've actually got a large population of people that have been so pacified and so trained to worship white jackets, professors, anybody that is a unconscious exemplary or replicate of a, of a, of a priest, because religion is really where all this stuff comes from. So as I said, so does the military, so does mind control. So we've been indoctrinated into believing that whatever a doctor says, you got to listen to and do whatever a policeman says, whatever the government says, because those are all really extensions of what was the church. And to the degree that you conform, then you have to suffer the pain of confirmation and you remain a child. 
But if you look at humanity as a living organism and each human being as a cell in the organism, humanity right now is going out of puberty and it must become an adult. And an adult is someone who accepts responsibility for what they create moment to moment. An adult is someone who says what they mean and means what they say. Well, look at all the stuff we've been talking about and you see that people are not accepting responsibility for themselves. And from education to politics to business, hardly anybody says what they mean and means what they say. <laughs> all you got to do is think of all the challenge you've had with doctors, dentists, bill collectors, therapists, people in general. Why? Because we're still acting like children because we've been kept as children so that we depend upon authority figures vehemently. We if we don't have them, most people just don't know what to, I don't know what to eat. My doctor didn't tell me. I don't know what to, how to invest my money. Everybody's being told what to do all the time by other people that are profiting off of it. So we're at the point now where if we do not stand up and become warriors for our freedom of rights, warriors for the protection of the natural resources that our very lives depend upon, warriors for the good the true and the beautiful. Well, then we stay children and we get put in cages and we become farmed like little animals and we live our lives full of disease and illness and all the money we make goes right back to the very rich people that are upholding the negative polarity and the little show goes on. And in the meantime, one can evolve themselves to see the play and to get to the point where they can maintain equanimity within themselves in the middle of the battlefield and realize the worst thing that'll happen is you'll die. And if you understand the truth of what God is, then you know God can't die and you realize life and death are just the names for two halves of a circle. And if you pay attention to how nature works, death feeds life. Literally, life could not exist without death. There would be no Topsoil without death. What we call topsoil is made of death. What we use as oil and gasoline is made of death of living organisms. So ultimately, death has to be in place or life cannot exist. But if we evolve ourselves to the point where we actually become conscious of the necessity of the polarities and realize that we can maintain a state of equanimity while participating and doing our best out of love. So when I teach like this and share like this, regardless of whether I get attacked or not, I'm conscious enough to know that I'm telling the highest truth that I can possibly tell as a human being. And to not tell it would mean that I was not very evolved and that I was more concerned about other people's opinions than I was about telling the truth, which makes me a child. And I'm right back to being controlled in a classroom. So Really, our options are to use the exact same technologies that they're using to control us and the same technologies that are using to destroy the planet in reverse. We can use communication technologies to educate each other and to inform each other and to make better choices and to starve out the corporations that are destroying the planet because they, the vote political vote never works, but not buying their stuff works every time because the larger the corporation the bigger the appetite the dragon has and the more susceptible they are to collapse, which is why you keep seeing all these collapses and government bailouts. Why is the government bailing them out? Because they're part of the game. Okay. 
you look at Donald Trump, he gave a $2 trillion stimulus package and everybody was so happy. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're fools. First of all, he didn't give you anything. Your taxes are going to go up and they're going to go up unproportionately. In other words, you're not just paying that loan back. You're going to pay it back with interest. So all the people at the top can buy even more yachts, et cetera. Second of all, if you asked yourself, what could we have done to support nature and educate the public on eating, breathing, moving, sleeping effectively, uh, hydrating effectively, farming effectively, the importance of taking care of the land and the importance of not having corporations destroying the planet, $2 trillion invested in that could have turned the earth back into the Garden of Eden in a couple of years. So there you have it. You, you, you've got an encapsulation of a divine drama that's been going on eternally because it is the very basis of consciousness itself. And without it, what we call God, source, whatever you want to call it, could never know what it itself is. No, no further questions, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Except what did Steiner say about viruses? Steiner... By the way, Steiner also said in the late 1800s and early 1900s, something quite profound. Man will continue to invent technologies outside of himself until he either realizes that all the technologies he's inventing outside of himself are copies of more advanced technologies within him, or he destroys the world. The question is, which will come first? Well, guess we'll find out the spiritual practice by definition is to identify the technologies within yourself and use them to create harmony and more love in the world. Okay. So that's what spirituality, spirituality by definition means connecting to a greater whole and enlightenment means, oh boy, guess what? I just figured it out. I am the universe and the universe is me and I am everybody else and they are me and the ego is a very interesting illusion that allowed me to take this journey into self-realization without which it would have had no meaning. Okay. Steiner also said that viruses are produced in any living organism when the organism begins to break down as a means of informing other living organisms in the environment as to how to upregulate their, that he didn't use the word genes, but he, he said, to give them the information they need to make the changes necessary to survive whatever the threat in the environment is. So viruses and exosomes are actually the free flow of information in nature in order to upregulate genes to adapt to changes in the epigenetic environment to enhance survivability. And as Zach Bush has pointed out beautifully, all the major virus problems were in the areas of the world that were the most heavily polluted. And therefore the environment is breaking down massively and a massive amount of viruses and exosomes are being released. And those people who are not healthy enough when they get the virus, which is actually nothing more than information. Bruce Lipton says a virus is nothing more than information like you pass around on a flash drive from computer to computer. It's, viruses aren't living things. They can't kill you. Your body allows them in. In fact, of the 
approximately, depending on whose research you look at, but let's say some say there's 100 trillion cells in the human body, only 10% of them are actually human. The rest of them are viruses, bacteria, and fungi, and other organisms. So you're really a walking garden. So we're literally full of viruses and bacteria and viruses, and the medical system has this whole antibacteria game going on and wash your hands. That was proven to be wrong 100 years ago. Um, not that you don't want your surgeon to wash his hands before he sticks his finger in your mouth or whatever, but the concept of the biological terrain and the health of the terrain is really far greater the truth than the bacteria being dangerous. Cause if you get rid of all the bad bacteria, you'll collapse nature immediately. So really what's happening is the people that are getting the, the any virus, whether it be the flu or coronavirus or whatever, are getting an information packet that alters physiological systems and regulates the genes. And the more unhealthy a system is, the more incapable it is of change because change always takes energy and chaos always precedes order. You look at all the most of the creation stories from native cultures from around the world, almost all of them say that the universe was born out of chaos. Anytime you're learning something new, even at the biological level, you have to stop doing what didn't work. And since the organism and the nervous system uses subconscious habitual patterning as a means of saving energy because it becomes reflex behavior, cognitive thought processes are very expensive energetically. The brain is the most inefficient organ in the body. It uses about 80% of the available blood sugar anytime you're thinking. So something that weighs one twenty-fifth of your body weight, it consumes about 80% of your blood sugar, which is why when people take tests in school, they leave and they're exhausted because their brain burns them out. This is why great thinkers have often said you have to be fit to think well. Um, so really what you see happening is people that are getting these environmental updates don't have the vitality and the resources to navigate the change process that's necessary for the new genetic information to upregulate the system. For example, if you don't have the nutrition on board to run your detoxification pathways, your key pathways are the cytochrome P440 and P4 or P4, P448 and P50. If, if I remember right, it's been a long time, but there's two chief enzymatic pathways. If you don't have the nutrition on board to upregulate those pathways, because there's a lot of toxins in the environment, then what happens is when the virus comes and stimulates the upregulation of that pathway, you don't have any resources to do it. So naturally, now you're going to get sick because you cannot. It would be like if you put software into your computer that was so advanced, the computer did not have a system for it. It would crash your computer. And I've, I've actually had that happen myself when I owned a computer for like 10 years and then tried to put a new uh, software on it from say a, you know, a software program for, you know, photo manipulation or something. And I load it up and the next thing you know, my computer keeps crashing. And then I, my computer tech guy says it's because the operating platform in that system doesn't have the memory or the information handling capacity to run that software. So it's confusing the entire system. It's creating a gridlock of information that can't be processed at the speed necessary to run the program. So if you just think of it that way, if we're too unhealthy to update, then this virus, which is a software update, overloads the system and just Humpty Dumpty falls off the wall. 
And isn't it interesting that the American Medical Association and many others around the world sent mandates to physicians to label any death that they had even a slight hint might be the coronavirus as a coronavirus death, even though they have no test to this very day to objectively document the coronavirus. Yeah, that's that's mind blowing. So is this a in some kind of perspective, a kind of a Darwinian, you know, the world is changing, the environment is changing, you know, let's clean house. Is that, you know, with the folks that are kind of the weakest in terms of the immune system and health and vitality getting kind of, you know, disproportionately wiped out? Is this like just a Darwinian phase of our evolution? Well, you could, but the Darwinian phase is based on competition and survival of the fittest, which is a complete misunderstanding of nature. Bruce Lipton goes into this at great length in, in his many books and teachings on Gaia TV. And so does anybody that studied it. The Lamarckian view is much more based on co cooperation. But if you look at research like uh, the research of people like Greg Braden and David Wilcock. And, and uh, let's see, what's David Wilcock's big book? It's called, um, uh, I'll try to remember the name of it. Uh, but anyhow, there's plenty of great research from all over the world showing that as the earth moves through different regions of space, remember the earth is flying at something like 68,000 miles an hour, chasing the sun through space. In a massive, massive, massive galaxy, uh, you know, if you died right now moving at the speed of light, 100 years from now, you'd still be in the Milky Way galaxy, which is one of over 100 billion known galaxies at this point. So the point I'm making is we're our planet and our star system is in a dynamic relationship with all the other planets and stars. And space is highly charged with energy, as I mentioned, and energy and information go together. So what's happening is there's good research showing, for example, there's research by NASA showing that every planet in our solar system is heating up. And that though we are encouraging a greenhouse effect through the use of fossil fuels, we're actually changing in our relationship with the sun and where we're at in space, which is resulting in all the planets in the solar system heating up to noticeable levels, to significant levels. And so the way I see it from all the research as I've done, for example, you cannot account for the gaps in evolution that are in a Darwinian evolutionary scheme. There are punctuations, like you cannot find the link between chimpanzees and human beings or homo sapiens sapiens. There's just a too big of a hole there. There's many, many, many what are called punctuated gaps in evolution where, where it doesn't make any sense. You cannot fulfill the gap in a Darwinian evolution, but Greg Braden and, and others looking into this have shown, even with research, take doing things like taking a laser beam, running it through a chicken's egg into a duck egg so that the information in the DNA of the chicken is transported on the laser beam into the duck. And what comes out of the duck egg is half chicken and half duck. And they've done this with frogs. They've done it with salamanders. They've done it with all sorts of creatures. They, they've shown beyond a shadow of a doubt that the energy and the information in the cosmic environment is what's driving the evolution of species. Steiner showed in, in one of his books that I studied, which remember, he was teaching this in the early 1900s. He shows if you measure the distance 
from the from stalk to stalk on a plant or branch to branch on a tree and you calculate the mathematical relationship of the length of that plant or tree and the ratio at which the stems or branches emerge, it will mathematically correlate particularly with one of the planets in our solar system and its ellipse around the sun. So he showed that you can actually use math and geometry to calculate which planets in our solar system are the dominant creative influence on all the living creatures in nature. And so really this, this very concept has been alive in alchemy for thousands of years. The alchemists knew all about this, which is why if you study alchemy, they have a lot on each of the planets and its influence on the human body, why certain metals and certain forces from different planets will either create health or disease or help heal certain things. So linking all the metals in our planet, in our planet to different planets, whether it be Mars, Venus, Mercury, whatever, different plants as Steiner did, the natives, the, the peasants all knew these relationships because they weren't distracted by television. So they watched the stars all the time and they, and they navigated. We had, we used, didn't have phones. We had to navigate by the stars. So we, we're deeply intimate with the stars and the energies and the moon and all of our mythologies. A lot of them are relating right back to these forces. So what I'm saying is, is that I believe all of this is really just part of the conscious evolution of the universe. And that what we're going through is really just um, a shift in the energetic environment and the information flowing in from all the other points of consciousness in relationship to us, be it planets, stars, moons, or other beings. I mean, you'd have to be pretty infantile to think that human beings are the only people in the whole fucking universe, for God's sakes. Uh, astronomers have calculated using analysis of the Milky Way galaxy and what they can see and what kind of star we have, which is a medium range star that they're based on calculations. There's at least 3 billion other planets that are similar to earth with stars, similar to our sun that could have life on them. Uh, I can't remember if it's the Milky way or the universe, but in other words, the, the math shows beyond a shadow of a doubt, we're not alone. Um, so, and then if you do deep spiritual work, you know, you can, start becoming conscious. A lot of people have had these experience on plant medicines, such as LSD, ayahuasca, DMT, mushrooms, mescaline, dot, dot, dot. Um, I mean, there's entire volumes of books uh, written describing finding yourself in another dimension, meeting beings that are living at completely octaves above us that know all about us, <laughs> that know exactly what's going on here, et cetera, et cetera. If you study books on astral travel and talk to people like me that do it all the time as part of my spiritual practice, I've met beings in all sorts of places, beings on the sun, beings on Venus. Some of them look human. Some of them look different than us. But most of them that I've encountered with rare exceptions are very loving and more evolved than us and realize we're all sort of in a nursery school down here. In fact, when I travel to some of these places, usually the, the look I get on the other beings is one of astonishment and shock. Like, how did he get out of the playpen? 
Some of them are very impressed and they say, congratulations, you figured out how to do it, but they're capable of looking right into you and knowing what your intentions are and, and you know, how evolved you are. Uh, so I found them to be highly supportive and, and educational. And what I found is that the universe is chalk a block with consciousness. It's chalk a block with beans, just like right now, you can't see it or feel it. But if you put up, turn on a radio, there's radio frequencies going through the environment and you can listen to a myriad of channels. You've got myriads of television frequencies going through the environment. So, you know, the point I'm making is think of how, in, how engrossed you can get in a television program, which is really just coming to you by electromagnetic frequency, just like a radio wave, isn't it? Okay. Well, right now you can easily find 500 to 1,000 channels of television available to you. And isn't it true that on one channel, you can be watching a movie like um, Star Wars or Dirty Dancing or some drama thriller or love story that can take you deep, deep, deep into emotion. You can be sitting there crying and be so engrossed, you're totally engulfed in that reality you can watch people watching television and their favorite football team is getting beat and they get violent and throw shit out the window and start fights. But all of it is just stuff coming by way of frequency. And it's not even physically real. It's electromagnetic waves manifesting on a screen. And you go all the way back to Plato's description of people caught in a cave who can't see the fire, but they can see the shadows on the wall and they come to believe that's all there is. And when someone tells them something else, they don't believe it. And when you look at the fact that media is the most commonly used weapon of mass distraction, and when you look at the word television, it means tell a vision. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you do the research on light, you find light has been shown to have an almost infinite capacity to carry information. So when you pick up a phone and look at it, they're able to program messages into the light. You could be looking at a picture of a rose in a garden and not realize you're being programmed to buy a certain cereal or whatever because it's happening to you unconsciously. Yeah, that's that's frightening. And I think on a few of your podcasts, you've kind of alluded to that. And that's just really crazy. Just that the, you know, the the subliminal stuff that we don't even know about. Well, it's crazy and it's all kind of crazy, but doesn't it make it exciting too? I mean, <laughs> honestly, if you, you know, one time Yogananda was giving a lecture when he first came over from India to the United States, I think around 1938, if I remember right, I think he was in Boston and he had like thousands of people at this lecture. And I've, I've this is a long time since I studied this. I, you know, I started in a self-realization fellowship when I was 12. So you can imagine it's been a while, but, and the monks tell us all sorts of stuff that trained with them. But uh, what, the, what the monks told me when I was in summer camp with them is that one time Yogananda was giving a lecture when he first, it was his first tour in the United States. And he was talking about how God is love. And some man in the audience got right pissed off and, and w just stood up in, 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 in the audience and interjected and basically yelled at Yogananda, how can you say God is love when there's so much war, death, destruction, kids being raped, pedophiles? And he just went off on Yogananda and Yogananda patiently waited. And he said, sir, do you like movies? The man said, yes, I do. He said, do you like a little shoot 'em up now and then? And the man said, yes, I do. 
He said, do you like a plot twist now and then? And the man said, yes, I do. He said, do you like a little steamy sex now and then too? And the men said, yes, I do. And Yogananda smiled and said, so does God. (laughs) 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 And that's what we are. Yeah. That's what we are. We are it. We are the embodiment of consciousness itself, having an experience of what it is. And so the beautiful thing of it is, in the middle of the battlefield, you can find love and you can feel good about fighting for what you believe in because you know it's a just cause. And the paradox is people like Bill Gates really believe in what they're doing. People like that are so smart, they think the rest of us are too stupid to care for ourselves. So they've got to police us. They've got to make sure we're good little children. We're tucked into bed at night and that we can't say certain things and talk about certain things. So when you look at what's going on, we're all being treated by like infantile little kids in in third or fourth grade that are too irresponsible to handle their own bodies, their sex organs, uh, and their drugs, unless they give them to us for profit, etc. And yet in the middle of it, hey, you just had a new child, you love your wife, you got a great relationship. I've got two wives and three kids, my 40 year old son's partner's pregnant, he's about to have a baby. I do what I love to do every day. I paint, I dance, I lift weights, I lift rocks, I hike in the hills, I enjoy nature, I share my love as fully as I can, whether people believe me or not, doesn't matter to me. Uh, You know, I'm just an offer. Um, And yes, I share my opinion about these things and encourage people to sign petitions. I don't think we need to do this violently. I tell people, look, Gandhi took over the entire British military, one of the most powerful forces in the world, by himself, nonviolently, by teaching the people of India how to engage the British military nonviolently and actually got his entire country back by starving himself in public so everybody could see it and made the British government look so damn bad to save face. They had to give the country back essentially Um, someone with a lot more (laughs) study of history may have a more detailed explanation (laughs) of that. But, but the point is Gandhi was able to deal with very evil forces, if you will, nonviolently, And committed himself to acting from his heart. And some of us just have to grow up, right? Uh, You know, there's many podcasters and people and doctors that know what's going on, but continue to pretend they don't because they're too chicken to be attacked. There's many podcasters I know, some very famous ones that you know that I've talked about with these and said, why aren't you talking about these issues of loss of freedom of speech, forced vaccination, And they say things like, I don't want to die on that hill or I don't want to lose my business or whatever. And I say, well, good. You're losing everything right now by being passive. And when are you actually going to stand up and fight for not only your rights, but for the freedom of your children and their future and everybody else? So those are people that are brave enough to go out and hunt animals with weapons that give them a very uh, unfair advantage. But when it comes to fighting for their family and their freedom, they're chicken shits. So as far as I'm concerned, if they put me in jail for sharing the things I'd share, I would, A, just do the best I could do to help everybody in jail. B, I'd have time to meditate a lot more. I'd probably write a couple of good books and hopefully I could educate the guards enough to say, get this to Joe Dispenza so he can publish it. 
I mean, um, or, 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 or Joe DiStefano, <laughs> one of you. Set it to Dispenza first. Yeah, yeah can, somebody. I, I, how to eat, move, and be in jail. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. You see, we're all in jail right now. Volume that's what this whole two. conversation is, isn't it? Right, right. We're in yeah. jail. They just made the walls invisible, and it's even more profitable that way. Right. Yeah. Lower cost. It's a great play. And if you study the Hindu scriptures, they talk about all the Hindu saints and sages said the world is Maya. Maya means the grand illusion. They all figured that out by sitting in caves and getting still and expanding their consciousness to realize what was going on. Arthur M. Young, the inventor of the Bell helicopter, took his money from inventing helicopters and started an institute to, to research what consciousness was. And Arthur M. Young says in his book, The Reflexive Universe, something very profound. He says, basically, referring to Maya, he says, it's important to remember that the world is an illusion, but it's the illusion. So they give an example. He says, if somebody's comes over to visit you while you're in the middle of a movie, they can't follow what's going on because they don't know what the illusion is. Only people following the movie know the illusion. So the illusion is a, somebody's a bad guy. Someone's a good guy. The illusion is that that person actually did get shot in the head, but we all know it's all Hollywood. It's all fake, but it's fake. So well, we believe it. Right. So what Arthur M. Young says, who is a genius, by the way, says, even though it's an illusion, it's the illusion. And he says, first, you must learn the laws of the universe, because that's what generates the illusion. And once you learn the laws of the universe, you can work with them. But anybody that tries to shortcut and work against the laws of the universe will never make it because you're dealing with something that's far more powerful than you can conceive of. So what am I saying? I'm saying the most intelligent people that walk this planet that has devoted their lives to spiritual development and conscious development on every level from great scientists to great inventors have really come to the conclusion that this is the grand illusion that source had to create to experience the potentials within itself and Every illusion is available at any given time because source is absolute. It's an infinity of infinities, which is why scientists keep coming to mathematical equations that show that there's dimension after dimension after dimension, which if they would have just studied the Hindu sages, they would have figured that out a long time ago. And so what I teach my students is, look, I say, how many of you believe that if God is love, then the highest form of love would be unconditional love? Every one of them says yes. Even an atheist says, well, if God is God, then God would be unconditional love. And I always giggle at the atheist because I quote Jung, something must be real before it can be rejected. <laughs> um, gotcha. So if God is unconditional love, I say, okay, what mathematical symbol is the only one that can be used to represent that which is unconditional. Well, most of them, not all of them, but most of them figure it out eventually. It's zero. So I say, if, if your mother is a zero, are you a real reality or are you a virtual reality? So, Joe, if your mother and fathers are zeros, 
what created you is a zero mathematically. Are you by definition a real one or an imaginary one? I suppose I'd be an imaginary one. You'd Did be get... an imaginary one. How yeah. could you be anything else if the source of you is intangible? <laughs> yeah. And that's why they can't figure out what consciousness is. Because you're using consciousness to try to measure consciousness. <laughs> and it's the subject, not the object. As Deepak Chopra says, material existence is the condensation of consciousness. But consciousness itself is pure subject. Nobody can objectively identify who it is inside of them, listening and feeling and having sex and tasting food. They're just in the habit of believing that's them. Right. So I could give you a long explanation of what consciousness, but it'd be very, very deep. And I don't want to uh, bore your listeners to death. But the reality of it is, is that. Is that. Um, consciousness is experiencing itself and it is pure subject. And because subject cannot be identified any more than you can objectify what love is, how do you weigh and measure love? You can't. And if God is love, you can't weigh and measure that, and you can't weigh and measure consciousness. Consciousness is the flow of energy and information, but nobody really knows where it's coming from or where it's going. Even the greatest scientists admit that. So what you see is that God is completely and utterly unknowable from an intellectual perspective because to to, to know a unity, you have to forego the duality <laughs> or you always have to have an illusion. And since you can't be conscious without the illusion, well, here we are in the great big game of life. And ultimately, if you pay attention and you live and you love, you become connected and you realize this connects to that, that connects to that. You can't have a world without a solar system. You can't have a solar system without a star. You can't have a star without a galaxy. You can't have a galaxy without a universe. And you can't have all that with pure potential, which is just another name for God or source. And since we can't know what that is, all we can really know is the illusion. And if we don't like the illusion, then we get to be a co-creator and participate in changing the illusion. And today that means you got to be an adult and stand up for yourself or then you have chosen your role in the show. <laughs> hey guys, sorry to interrupt the show again. Quick shout out to my good friends at Keon. They make the aminos that I take before every single podcast and most mornings before my workout. Aminos are absolute damage control. It's funny, they're nothing like multivitamins, but I compare them to multivitamins because they give you what most people want from a multivitamin. What do they want from a multivitamin? They want insurance and they want to feel uplifted, right? They want a little boost in their energy and their pep and their step. They want to feel healthier. That's exactly what aminos give you. These stimulate muscle growth. They help you recover from exercise. They give you resistance to fatigue. They give you amino acids that you can actually absorb extremely well, even if you are vegan or vegetarian, not eating a lot of protein. And these amino acids are not only used for muscle repair, but they're used for your neurotransmitter production. So you can actually have a more stable and relaxed and calm and together mood as a result of these aminos. They are absolutely absolutely awesome. And if you head on over to getkeon.com slash stacked, you're going to see them in the top 
left corner of that page. Now, next to them, you're going to see other products that I absolutely love, like Keon Flex, which is my go-to when my baby was born. And I started basically holding him all the time in a 90-degree flexed bicep position. My elbow went crazy. I had to start doing a whole bunch of tricep work. Uh, I had just had so much rogue pain in that elbow. And I took a whole bunch of Keon Flex and it basically zapped it. That and the tricep work just eliminated this pain. And now I am free. You can keep looking. You can see Keon Lean, Keon Coffee, Keon Bars, all the other great products. But Keon Aminos and Flex are the two products on that page that I cannot recommend highly enough. All right, guys, enough from me. Enjoy that page over at getkeon.com slash stacked. Don't forget to use code stacked at checkout, and you're going to save if it's your first order quite a bit. And now back to the show with my good friend, Paul Check. I think I think we can put a bow on this one. And I just thank you so much for the time, Paul, and, and sharing all of your wisdom. I know as soon as we hang up, I'm going to go back and listen to some of this because you just shared so much amazing information. And I really feel uh, just really light right now. And I think that, you know, I've been since my baby was born and things have just been getting crazy. And I was one of those people that, you know, didn't want to die on that mountain, right? Because you can, you can watch in real time, just when you start to share these things, you know, your traffic goes down and, you know, the machine is, is not, that's not always true. My traffic's gone up. Right. Why do you want to keep investing in a belief like that? Right. Right. Um, and I think, yeah. And, you know, since Leon's been around and I look at him and I just say, oh my gosh, I got to start speaking up about this stuff just because he's going to grow up in this world. And if I just sit on the sideline and, you know, um, worry about them closing down my Instagram account or something, that's not going to do anything for anybody. And I'm not going to feel good about it in my heart. So well, you'll, you'll give yourself leaky gut. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. At, at least you have my book and you know how to use a four day rotation diet, but it'll never <laughs> work if you don't stop creating so much stress. And this is true for everybody, right? This is right. true for everybody. Um, and, you know, I want to close this by saying to all your listeners and to you, don't believe a word I've said. I tell all my students, never believe anything I've told you. That's just my perspective based on my own life of, of looking into these things because I'm a person that asks why, how and why. And I keep asking until I hit bedrock bottom. And that's how I've helped thousands and thousands and too many thousands of people to even count who were stuck, deeply stuck in the medical system, often couldn't help them. So I say to my students, go out and practice it. If you don't believe in what I've just said, then go into meditation and get still and ask the part of you that is your higher self that's not programmed is it really true? And pay attention to how you feel inside. Wise words. You're, thank, thank you, Paul. Um, when something's true and you're brave enough to hear the answer, you'll have a sense of alignment, a sense of levity, a sense of connection and opening. If something's not true, you'll feel exactly like you feel when you're being lied to. But most people are so caught in the rat race and the illusion They haven't gotten to the point where they're even aware that there's something beyond their ego mind that's always witnessing. By definition, a conscious person is someone who's aware that they're aware. And meditation teaches you to go past your awareness to the awareness of your awareness. Once you're inside the awareness of your awareness, you're connected to higher consciousness. 
And there the truth can be found about any question you can ask, but you've got to be brave enough and have the spiritual courage to know the truth. And the truth is most people don't want to know the truth of these issues. They just want to keep eating their Oreo cookies and McDonald's and drinking their beer and watching football and believing that big daddy and the doctors and the therapists and the Bill Gateses and the Zuckerbergs of the world are looking after them. And I ask, how is that working so far? That's right. That's right. All right. Well, thank you again so much, Paul. I think um, I thank you so much for your time today. I know it's been a long one and, and I know you're a busy guy. So the listeners it, and it I went by in a flash, man. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> you know, when, when you're sharing your love, it becomes timeless. And I think this is the most important issue at the most important time for us to wake up because we're all participating in the drama. We're all co-creators. We all contribute to the outcome. And it's important to remember at the top there's only about 300 people controlling this show we've been talking about, and there's about 7 billion of us. So if Gandhi can take over the British government by himself, just imagine what happens if even 2% of us wake up and start harmonizing the power that that will have. There's no way that they can impose these threats on us and get away with it if we all get clear on what it means to be free and what our constitution was written to do. And if you just pay attention to how Donald Trump and major leaders in the world are going against the constitution and the constitutions of other countries, then you will see you either have to stand up or be a child and succumb to the show, which means you've given up your rights as a co-creator in the universe and the world. And that will surely produce pain, which will ultimately wake enough of us up that some rebels will be born and the phoenix will rise from the ashes because that's how consciousness itself becomes self-aware and there's no other story going on here than that yeah and i think uh you know maybe maybe my son or your son's this you know part of this phoenix <laughs> oh i i know for a fact both of my kids are i mean i i can i won't tell you the reason I know or how I know, I just say that I use the same techniques I use to find out truths about all sorts of deep things, to find out who those souls were, because at 54 years of age, the last thing I want to do is become a father again. And so <laughs> Angie got pregnant two times, had two miscarriages. And then when, when it happened a third time and I was monitoring her cycle very carefully and being very careful not to get her pregnant, because that's the last thing I want to do is be a daddy again. Remember, I have a 40 year old son. <laughs> And I got about 15,000 students, which is like having 15,000 kids. Uh, metaphorically, I said, I've got to go meet the soul and find out why this soul is so insistent on being my child. And when it happened again and Zoe came, I did the same thing. And both of them told me straight up, we've chosen you to activate our knowledge. We've been through many things like this before. Mana said, I have exquisite knowledge of the soil. I was a farmer for my whole life. In my last life, I've been a farmer many times. I have intimate knowledge of soil and farming and soil, how it functions and how nature functions. And there's going to be changes on the earth where people like me are going to be very important to help restore the environment. And Zoe told me 
She died in her last life in a gas chamber in Hitler's concentration camps. And as she was dying, she was given knowledge. Uh, what not not while she was being gassed, but while she was starving to death, she was having a, a long series of deep mystical experiences in which she learned how to completely leave her body and be free of the body. So by, by the time she died, it, it wasn't a threat to her at all. And she is coming back to teach people that they're not trapped in their body. So Zoe's coming to be a spiritual teacher and Mon is coming to help the environment. That's, that's beautiful. I, I hope. And there's, there's millions of children coming into the earth plane right now for yeah. that very reason. And they're, many of them are very advanced souls that are actually incarnating to help wake people up and teach them how to create freedom for themselves and what the truth of the show really is. Makes sense when, when we, we take a lot of Kundalini yoga in LA and our teacher Tage, um, you know, months before we got pregnant, she, she would continuously ask if we were pregnant and we weren't even trying, but she was like, there's a soul just waiting to come. Like she's, I've done that for many people and I could easily give you a list of names and prove it to you. I can, I'm clairvoyant. I can see the souls hovering around people. And uh, actually, the medicine carrier that trained me in the use of plant medicines, one day I was at his house visiting him and his 30-something-year-old son dropped over with his wife. And the instant I laid eyes on them, I saw probably about 20 or 30 souls circling around his wife, waiting for the moment they were going to have sex. And I looked at them and said, and I realized she was pregnant. I could see a soul in her womb already. And uh, I said, I just met him. It was kind of shocking for him. I shook his hand and said, oh, by the way, I'm curious. Are you guys trying to have a baby? And they looked at me in shock and said, well, no, why? I said, well, your wife's pregnant and there's souls all around you. So <laughs> you, you're, you're, you've been selected. And about 10 days later, I got a phone call from his son who had gotten my phone number from his dad and said, you're not going to believe it. <laughs> my wife just did a pregnancy test and she's pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Well, uh, you know, we're all grateful for your spiritual practice and the amount of time and energy you've put into developing yourself because your sharing of all this wisdom is, is helping all of us, myself included. And you've been helping me for years long before we knew each other. And I'm grateful for that, Paul. And, and, and again, I just, I thank you so much for this time and energy and, and inspiration. Yeah. And, you know, I think the thing too is, is just remember it's, it's really a, a, a beautiful play. I mean, I say to my students all the time, I challenge you to come up with a world better than this one. And so far, none of them been able to do it. Every time they try, I can easily show them by countering their position why there's perfection in the imperfection. And uh, that is the beauty of it. Uh, if you study crystallogy, how, how crystals are formed, it is the imperfection in a crystal that makes it functional and makes it unique and useful. And it is the imperfection in all of us that makes us beautiful and it is the imperfection in the worlds that keep it interesting and dynamic and exciting. And um, it's never been any different and it never will be. So when you realize that you can have all the freedom you want within yourself, 
And if you study people that have been put in, uh, in, um, in, in uh, solitary confinement in prisons, the only way they can survive is to go within themselves and to develop a loving relationship with themselves. And that's the only thing that gets them through. And many of them have profound enlightenment experiences. So uh, all I'm saying is right now is not the time to be overwhelmed with stress. Now's the time to say, okay, look, I got a conscious opportunity to participate in my role and decide what I want to create and get people together with me and just know that the only reason we're facing all these challenges is because a bunch of people got together to decide what they wanted, which is a lot of money and a lot of control. And the difference is they're working together to get it while we're being totally confused and separated by believing in the illusion and watching too much television and believing that anything someone says with a PhD or a white jacket is true. When I tell people, remember, every drug that was ever taken off the market was scientifically validated first. <laughs> so <laughs> be careful. <laughs> right, 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 right. All right, sir. Well, Paul, thank you so much again and, and have an absolutely wonderful day. Enjoy the espresso and the sunshine and the new home and the family and any guests that you have over today. And, and I hope to talk to you soon. My pleasure. It is done. It is done. It is done. A whole great spirit. We are safe. We are home. We are whole. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed today's show. For the show notes for today's episode, head on over to coachjoedi.com and click podcast from the menu. If you'd like to leave a review, which I would absolutely appreciate on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you found this show, please do so. These mean the world to me. They help me understand what my audience is gaining from these shows that I'm pouring my heart into and ultimately helps us to reach more people because these platforms like shows that get reviews. So it helps us out so much. If you're digging the shows, this would be so great if you could just leave a review. Also, I still give away $150 every two weeks to kettlebellkings.com to somebody that reviews my show. So if you leave a review, just screenshot it and email it to hey at coachjodi.com and my team will enter you to win this $150 gift card so that you can outfit your home with a couple of kettlebells on me. Also, when you're in the show notes, you'll find links to any products that we discussed. For full transparency, some of these links do contain affiliate links. This helps me to fund these episodes, pay my staff, and ensure that I'm taking care of the people that take care of us. So I absolutely appreciate you clicking links and using codes. It helps keep this train on the tracks. All right, guys, until next week, thank you as always for listening. I really appreciate you guys subscribing and listening to this show every week. I really put a lot into them. So thank you so much. And you'll hear from me again next week. Take care.